Welcome to the fifth episode of the Ocean Decade Show, a podcast dedicated to guiding you down the yellow brick road of this global initiative to transform the ocean, housed within the American Shoreline Podcast Network. My name is Taylor Gales, and I'm your host and tour guide on our adventure through the ocean decade. Uh, before I get into the topic of today, uh, I wanted to let you know some exciting news that we've been accepted as an official activity under the Ocean Decade, so this podcast has. Uh, this is huge uh, and great to know that the IOC, the Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission, don't forget your past acronyms, um, sees alignment between the overall Ocean Decade and this podcast that's named after it. Um, I really hope that this will broaden our reach and help me bring you all more guests and more stories from around the world uh, so that we can continue to tell some of the really cool stories of the decade and uh, be able to help uh, make what this decade is, that we can tell stories that hopefully can uh, influence how the decade progresses and get to report out on really cool things. So yeah, I'm really excited about that and so I can officially like start plastering the Ocean Decade logo everywhere, which is really fun too, that I'm just gonna get stickers and put them on everything that I own uh, because I'm an official activity now. <laughs> so that's the main update in the realm of the Ocean Decade. I haven't forgotten about that segment that uh, we've done a few episodes ago about uh, in the world of Ocean Decade uh, that I've done all of one time now, but uh, we're in a bit of a waiting period right now. Uh, you know, the decade launched in January of this year and then there's a June 1st launch, launch event that's being planned in Germany. Um, and the first set of programs are being selected by the Decade Advisory Board. So we're, we're kind of in a pause waiting for that to, those things to happen for some big news to uh, be able to report on and things that are happening. But um, I will make sure to keep you updated uh, about the whole wide world of the Ocean Decade and not just the topic of each particular episode. Um, but one of the updates that has happened recently and that has real uh, influence on the ocean decade is the subject of our episode today, our show today. Um, it's a really fascinating show today, all about the state of ocean science and sustainable development right now. Where we are, what's happening, who's doing what. <laughs> These are the sort of questions that are sometimes so foundational that oftentimes people don't think about them, um, doing kind of like an overall survey of what does this world look like? What does this landscape look like? What does this ocean look like? Uh, but these bigger questions in the ocean science and sustainable development world uh, all depend on this sort of information. So uh, in order to do anything different or even more of the same, we have to know where things are right now. We need to know the report on the ocean. <laughs> and since this ocean decade is all about change, uh, we want to change the way that science is done, change uh, the way that people relate to the ocean and coast. We want more data, more inclusion, more everything and different. But you can't know if things have changed, if you're actually making an impact over these next 10 years without having a baseline. You need to know what you're comparing to. It's why in science, uh, data collection for things like fisheries, you know, you check fishery stocks, their population every year, every few years. Because scientists, as well as under other industries, like trends, like data, both qualitative and quantitative, important to note as a social scientist, uh, qualitative data is very important data. Um, I hope you can tell that I nerd out a lot about this part of the ocean decade. Uh, the implementation plan that we've discussed before, that strategic plan for the decade, is mapping out how we want to change things. And now there's this UNESCO's Global Ocean Science Report, which we'll learn about today. 
and it's the starting line. It's the baseline for the decade. It's the state of the ocean, ocean science, and sustainable development right now all over the world. So UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, who, <laughs> and that's not even our acronym of today. So it just tells you how many acronyms are in this ocean science world, for better or for worse. Uh, but another thing I geek out about, in addition to this baseline data, is organizational charts. So for a nerd like me, the complex web of UN organizations is fascinating. So the IOC, uh, the organization that's organized in the Ocean Decade, like we've talked about, and who our former and hopefully future guest, Alison Clausen, uh, works for, is the part of UNESCO that focuses primarily on the ocean. But if you're an ocean lover, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, <laughs> you know that the ocean has a tendency to pop up across the board because the ocean impacts every piece of life on Earth. That uh, uh, When we're recording this, last week was actually uh, Earth Day and Earth Week, and so all my favorite ocean NGOs and uh, ocean advocates were all kind of screaming from their virtual rooftops, remember the ocean is such a big part of the the globe, that it's the majority of the globe. And so if you're talking about Earth Day, you're not just talking about trees, you're mainly, you should mainly be talking about the ocean. Um, so the ocean pops up everywhere. And that's why it's really fantastic that UNESCO has the IOC, which is specifically ocean, but then they bring the ocean throughout things that UNESCO as a wider organization does, which is really cool. Uh, and like I said, surprisingly, UNESCO isn't the acronym of our episode. It's actually Gosser, G-O-S-R. I'm not sure if you actually pronounce it out like that. We'll have to ask our guest here in a little bit. The Global Ocean Science Report uh, of 2020, technically. So based from data collected from all over the world, the Global Ocean Science Report offers a global record of how, where, and by whom ocean science is conducted. So this wonderful baseline that only a, an organization like the UN could actually pull off because it's at a global scale. You're not just saying across Europe, this is what it's like, or across Africa, or across a specific country. Uh, they really tried to get a record of what's the state of the ocean across the world. What's really important and fascinating in terms of this report and for the future of the ocean decade too, and the, the scope of the ocean decade, is that this isn't your typical narrow report focused just on science or just on the blue economy. Um, it's overarching analyzing everything from the ocean workforce, uh, the infrastructures that are currently in place, equipment, funding, investments, publications, data flow, exchange policies, as well as specific national strategies. So taking a really holistic view, and people say that, and it doesn't always mean as holistic as you think it does, but you know, if th this report is talking about equipment and infrastructure, they're really trying to look at everything that touches the ocean in order to see how it changes over the next 10 years by 2030. Um, so this report is a really crucial starting point to help us measure change over the next 10 years so we can better understand the ocean and seize any new opportunities and really understand the impact that this ocean decade is trying to make. This is a massive report and a massive undertaking, which was just released a couple of weeks ago by UNESCO. Uh, the executive summary alone is 25 pages and the full report clocks in at 244 pages, which it necessarily has to be that long. You know, it's a global report. Um, there's a, a ton of co-authors from all of the uh, biggest marine science institutes from all over the world. Uh, so it's a lot to take in. And if you want to know more about it, 
you really have to go to the source of people who helped create it. So we're really lucky today to have Dr. Salvatore Arico, the head of the ocean science section of the IOC. Uh, and this guy knows the IOC inside and out. If you really want someone who knows the IOC and knows about the importance of this report, it's Salvatore. We got the kind of golden goose of guests this month. He's uh, in his career. He's authored over 90 publications on biodiversity, the ocean, global change, science and technology, and has been at the UN in one capacity or another for almost 30 years. So if anyone understands the importance and the uniqueness of this kind of report and the scale that it's uh, working on and the challenges of putting together this report, um, you know, they organized this report during a global pandemic with authors from all over the world. Like that is not an easy thing to do at all. So I'm really excited to have Salvatore here uh, this month with us to get into a little more detail about what this Global Ocean Science Report is. Yeah, so this uh, is a massive report and a massive undertaking. Uh, so we're really lucky today to have uh, Dr. Salvatore Arico, the head of ocean science at the IOC. Um, thank you so much for being here today. Hello. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's my pleasure. Yeah. So before we get uh, into the report a little bit, uh, I've asked all my guests this. I want to learn a little bit more about your background and path to the to the ocean decade. You've worked at the UN for a long time, but how is how have you um, come to be involved with uh, the Ocean Decade launch this year? Yes, I have worked for the UN for a long time. I'm a, an oceanographer by education, but uh, I've always been interested in uh, the science uh, policy interface. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe that uh, the decade provides a unique opportunity to broaden uh, that interface uh, so as to also encompass the society at large. And that's my main motivation for taking an interest and uh, trying to help with the decade. And uh, more specifically, in the context of the decade, I have been looking after the development of, uh, let's say, the science uh, plan and uh, the identification of uh, the main science priorities uh, in the context of the decade. Oh, great. Um, so, yeah, this uh, Global Ocean Science Report is your baby then, <laughs> in, in a lot of ways. That uh, And it's a great benchmark for where we need to go over the next 10 years because we, we just now know better what it's like out there in the ocean science and sustainable development world right now. Well, you are correct because, uh, you know, if you want to measure progress, uh, you, you need to know what uh, you are measuring. So you need a baseline. So we did uh, uh, come up with a first uh, edition of this Global Ocean Science Report, which uh, sounds as a very ambitious uh, endeavor. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, to be completely frank, it is because you are trying to capture ocean uh, science capacity uh, you know, globally in terms of research vessels, uh, laboratory infrastructures, number of researchers, uh, all of that uh, working with uh, uh, gender disaggregated data, uh, you know, the level of scientific production. Uh, the, it, so, you know, it is an ambitious endeavor. And uh, four years later, in a couple of months ago, we produced the second edition of the report, and we believe we now hold a very strong baseline against which to measure progress in the context of the UN decade. Yes, I think it's really fascinating that for this second edition, uh, you know, going into the ocean decade, that uh, it addresses four additional topics. So the contribution of ocean science to sustainable development, uh, blue patent applications, uh, and extended gender analysis, and capacity development in ocean science. So why were these topics added? Why were they so important uh, to 
this version, this edition of the report? Thank you for for the question. I, not necessarily in the same uh, you know order, but uh, perhaps uh, starting with the blue patents. I we thought that differently from the first edition, which uh, only measured the scientific production in terms of uh, uh, number of articles uh, produced and published in uh, science journals. Uh, we we thought it's important to, to measure the transfer of uh, the knowledge generated uh, through research and observations uh, onto those who are in charge of developing applications, namely the the private sector, uh, because it is it is uh, on that basis uh, on the basis of those applications that uh, society enjoys, uh, you know the the sort of the services that. Uh, based on ocean science. So this is why we decided to include the blue patent, uh, a section on blue patents. The question of gender is like an ongoing priority for the uh, Oceanographic Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission and the, the, uh, the UN as a whole. And um, although we have some good results because in, uh, in the area of ocean science, we basically have more female uh, ocean scientists scientists than in other branches of science. And, and, and yet there is a lot of work to do because uh, when you scratch the surface a little bit, uh, you realize that uh, uh, those female ocean scientists do not necessarily uh, hold the same level of responsibility and uh, related, uh, you know, uh, benefits, mm -hmm. uh, including, uh, you know, financial benefits yeah. as uh, uh, male ocean scientists. Uh, uh, quickly, because we have the opportunity to go a little bit more in depth with regard to why did we add the, you know, the section on uh, ocean science and sustainable development? Because at the end of the day, we should not forget that even the ocean decade is there to help uh, with the realization of this uh, 2030 agenda for sustainable development. So we really wanted to, to try and measure to which extent ocean science is, is, is trying to really respond to those uh, um, uh, sustainable development uh, questions, uh, goals and targets as uh, uh, illustrated, uh, in, uh, as, uh, as reported in the 2030 uh, agenda. Mm -hmm. Finally, the question of capacity development is, uh, is an ongoing question because uh, I would not say that ocean science uh, uh, remains a prerogative of a lucky few, but uh, it's it's not, you know, there are not many governments that uh, are in a position to conduct ocean science, uh, uh, you know, fully in terms of the kind of financial resources and the infrastructural, uh, you know, uh, equipment that is needed. Yeah, that's... Uh I, thanks for going over each of those in detail, because those were some of the things when I was reading through it. It was so fascinating to see how, you know, the scope of the ocean decade is trying to be very holistic. And so the way that you all added new questions in order to try to think more holistically so that it's not just looking at, you know, the scientific publications, which people in the private sector, you know, or governments don't read because they maybe don't have access to it or they're, you know, these long, uh, long publications. So I think it's really, uh, you know, you have to ask the right questions to get the right answers. And so I think you all have a great baseline for what uh, we need to learn and study over the course of the next 10 years. Yes, I think so, because uh, the <clears throat> what you just said about uh, the fact that policymakers don't 
<clears throat> I apologize. Don't 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 really uh, read uh, scientific uh, publications. Um, it is true, and uh, it is also true that we have uh, you know specific processes that uh, um, digest uh, scientific knowledge in in the, in a form which is you know more accessible to policymakers. For example, the work of the Intergovernmental Panel on, on Climate Change. Um, which 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 is instrumental in uh, when it comes to decision making related to climate change, but governments they also want to know where they should uh, put the resources um, on where they should invest. So this report is is intended really to help governments undertake uh, some strategic decisions related to ocean science, including uh, funding. As uh, as a, a proportion of what we call the global uh, envelope uh, for research and development. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up the funding piece of it because one of the I think most interesting findings from this report um, is that you know uh, we've seen that there's this increase in scientific focus in terms of scientific papers. So. Uh, the, there's a growing number of publications in peer-reviewed scientific journals focused on the ocean. So you all found that it has increased by 179% in 18 years, 89% over the past 12 years, and 28% over the last six years. But this has not re- uh, led to a related increase in funding. So uh, the report found that only uh, around only 1.7% of total national expenditure on research and development is allocated to ocean science. Uh, so to provide a, a U.S. number in context and uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration (NOAA) has been in the news recently since um, Dr. Rick Spinrad has been appointed uh, is uh, nominated to be the new head of NOAA, which is fantastic. Uh, but their 2019 budget, for example, was 5.4 billion, whereas overall federal spending in the U.S. at the same time period was 4.45 trillion. So ocean spending is a, really a drop in the bucket, even for the United States, which is you know one of the big ocean science powerhouses. Um, so what do you think needs to happen in order to change that over the next 10 years and beyond? Okay, so um, when it comes to why uh, the number of scientific publications in the area of ocean science has uh, pretty much exploded over, over the past, uh, let's say, you know, 10, 15 years, I would say this is also a reflection of, of a more general trend in uh, scientific publications and that we, we shouldn't be naive. Uh, in the sense that uh, uh, science publishing is a is a is has become a, a very important sector, uh, you know, economically speaking. It's a business, so yeah. It's a business, so you know, so that's that's that explains part of the story, but it's just part of the story. The other the other uh, sort of uh, explanation is that uh, there is a uh, out there there is an in, a, a, an increasing policy demand for kind of uh, knowledge that. Uh, ocean science generates because when you look at the role of uh, the word ocean in climate uh, mitigation and regulation food security um, basically uh, you know those issues that are covered uh, biodiversity uh, those you know the main dimensions of the 2030 agenda so uh, it, you know funding for science more generally including ocean science uh, uh, is increasingly under uh, 
the you know the the pressure and the need for science to deliver also on the societal side of things so scientists are you know pragmatic uh, uh, animals and they they just that's a great just, for, yeah i want to put that on my resume now pragmatic <laughs> animal well, i mean you know it's 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 a it's a compliment in the sense that yeah. you, you need to be pragmatic because yeah, otherwise you are conducting science you know separately from the rest of society it's like living in an ivory tower i think scientists are increasingly uh conscious of their societal responsibility in terms of generating knowledge that can help people save lives and you know for example one important application area of ocean science is uh, the possibility to predict and reduce natural hazards and uh, extreme events so you know uh, tsunami uh, events or uh, you know the alteration of uh, uh, you know, variability in, in climate that has an impact on food security, such as uh, through El, El Nino. So um, now uh, to the second part of your question, then how come if ocean science is, uh, you know, the demand on ocean science is increasingly uh, higher and uh, ocean scientists feel increasingly responsible vis-a-vis the rest of society how come that uh, the proportion of uh, of the of uh, you know funding for science uh, uh, that is devoted to ocean science is uh, ridiculously uh, uh, low tiny yeah <laughs> uh, tiny i i would say to me it's mainly a communication issue because we haven't been able to illustrate uh, uh, adequately uh, what i would define you know as a the continuum of the value chain, if you like, that goes from the moment when you conceive some fundamental research kind of questions all the way to the collection of data and the development of applications and services and and, and, and so on and so forth. So I, I think we are getting there because we the Global Ocean Science Report shows that there are new players in town. The proportion of the, the, the R&D, the research and development budget devoted to ocean science is not necessarily related to the GDP of that given country, um, the gross domestic product. So we have new players like Peru, for example, uh, South Africa, Croatia, uh, countries that uh, have decided strategically do it, to invest uh, more and more in into ocean science, in addition to the uh, usual uh, suspects, uh, so to speak, I mean, uh, the US and Korea, because in, in those countries uh, there is a tradition of investing in ocean science, but even, even there it's not enough, as you rightly said. Yeah, and I think that's the really important thing, is that there are more and more players over, uh, going forward. And so it's going to help us get more diverse solutions that we're going to be able to look at through things through different perspectives and hopefully work on this, you know, capacity development and sustainable development from a, a more holistic point of view, because we'll have the perspectives of more of the countries in the world and more of the ocean scientists and, and de sustainable development experts from around the world. You are correct. I think when it comes to, um, let's say, individual countries realizing that ocean science is a global enterprise. There are two main uh, sort of uh, 
dimensions to it. One is on, on the ethical side of things. I mean, in the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, which is the overarching uh, sort of legal framework for all activities taking place in the sea, uh, marine scientific research, uh, fisheries, uh, um, uh, transportation, uh, communication, uh, and cabling, everything. In that convention, in that piece of law that has been ratified by most of uh, the member states of the UN, uh, there is a chapter dealing with uh, the transfer of marine technology and uh, the, the obligation that uh, all uh, countries have to really help each other. Uh, and it's not just technology, it's about knowledge as well. It's about uh, uh, developing uh, country scientists being offered the opportunity to be trained uh, on board of research vessels owned by <coughs> developed countries, for example. But, uh, but then uh, there is another dimension, and that is that uh, uh, ocean sciences and technology are an important um, uh, ingredient of, uh, of, the, of the ocean economy. So countries realize that if they want to deal with each other also from that perspective, you really need to invest in, uh, in uh, science infrastructures that will allow you to gather data with a global coverage so as to make you know, sense of, of ocean processes, mm -hmm. etc. So really as a, con as a, as a condition uh, sine qua non for, for countries to basically be able to not only enjoy ocean areas and resources, the resources they're in, but also to collaborate and to trade with each other. Yeah, it's it's the science diplomacy piece of it and getting to, you know, be able to work together as a global team. And that's one of my, uh, one of the questions I had while reading through this and looking through the co-author list, you know, from a practical point of view, what was it like working with this globally distributed team from probably every time zone in the world during the year of a global pandemic? How did you and your team pull together these experts to make this report happen? I mean, it was uh, it was highly challenging, but also uh, great fun in, in many respects. First of all, I, I should say I'm very proud that we were able to put together a team of uh, authors and uh, reviewers that was very well balanced uh, uh, geographically and uh, gender-wise. Uh, this is important, uh, uh, not only as a matter of principle, but also because um, my experience for having uh, visited and, uh, and uh, you know, half of the, of the countries of the, of the world in, in this planet and, uh, and have also interacted with many projects on the field, many scientists. My, my experience is that uh, science in general, including ocean science, can be interpreted and practiced different, in different ways in different areas of the world. In developing uh, countries, uh, science tends to be much closer to the solutions that are needed. But on the other hand, it enjoys less independence, for example, than, than in, in a developed country where scientists don't, you know, they are not hold, uh, held accountable if, uh, if, you know, the knowledge they produce uh, is in contradiction with, uh, say, you know, 
the, the fact that an earthquake, an earthquake has happened, whereas scientists said that they, you know, it won't. But on the other hand, it, it tends to be more theoretical. So bringing that balance into the picture is, is very important. And, uh, and I'm very proud that uh, uh, we were indeed able to put together a team of uh, 60 plus authors and reviewers and uh, and everyone played the game because those people worked on a pro bono um, basis and i guess it's because you know one can call it a really a service to the global community yeah and everyone then just switched off having the weird early morning or late night group phone calls probably <laughs> when you're trying to put it all together that's that's correct but uh, you know that's the price to pay so to speak especially during uh, covid times because um, in the regular times, we, we, you know, UN uh, uh, experts, uh, we travel a lot, but, uh, but now these, these days, we are most of the time in front of a computer and, and everyone is, is really, as I said, playing the game very, very nicely and very, you know, uh, collegially. And uh, hopefully there will be a time, a better time for, for us to, you know, when we will be able to get together uh, again. But, uh, your question also makes me um, say that we are also working on a follow-up study which is like an appendix to the Global Ocean Science Report, really trying to understand the impacts of COVID-19 on ocean science. Uh, because you see, when it comes, for example, to observations, well, uh, there have been huge impacts because uh, the vessels that most of the time are at sea collecting data, well, they haven't been able to operate regularly. Uh, and fortunately, the observing system has a certain degree of uh, resilience because there are a number of, uh, uh, you know, automatically operated, uh, you know, tools. And, uh, and so that's okay. But we are also trying to understand, for example, has the COVID-19 situation redirected some of the funding that was originally intended to be used for ocean science towards other branches of science, for example, health? It will take us a couple of months to answer that, that question, but uh, we are working on that. Oh, that's great to know that um, to get to see, because I remember last year watching the ocean decade kind of planning pivot in the case of COVID-19. So it's great that we'll have some data and information based on, you know, how has this affected the ocean? We know how COVID's affected, you know, almost every other part of our lives, but this will, yeah, this is really fascinating. And I think we'll, while it's been a, like a horrible time, you know, to start the ocean decade, by the time we reach that 2030, I think it'll be an even starker difference that we'll get to see how much change has really happened from the start to the end, in part because of uh, this report and the appendix. Absolutely. At the same time, I, I, I too, like, like you thought, oh, you know, this is, I'm, I, I was very sorry about those who were suffering from the COVID-19 pandemic, but I was also thinking that, uh, you know, it was it was not uh, the ideal time to launch a UN decade of ocean science for sustainable development, especially because we don't want this decade to be a paper decade. We really want it to be an action-oriented decade. And yet, a couple of months uh, after the the the, the beginning of uh, of the decade, I mean, you know, the the official launch will happen in a couple of 
day stand, but basically, you know, the decade goes from the 1st of January 2021 all the way to the end of uh, the of this decade. I thought, well, but on the other hand, it's an opportunity to really uh, see uh, ocean matters in context, in relation to you know, the ups and downs of the global economy in relation to health. For example, not many people knew and still uh, still don't know that uh, there are a number of uh, solutions to health, human health problems that come from the sea. So, you know, if, you, if one looks at it uh, positively, it's an opportunity to connect ocean matters with, uh, you know, other uh, priorities of society and uh, try and, and understand that the ocean uh, better that the ocean is part of a more a more complex system and uh, ultimately we we need to look at those things in an interlinked way yeah nothing exists in a vacuum and we we know that even more so now and so to get to have the next 10 years um, whatever happens, that there's this overarching thing of the ocean decade and our focus on, you know, defining this ocean we want for the future we need, which I, I love that tagline, especially because that we uh, depends on who you're asking. You know, a successful ocean, we're going to try to define a global one, but it also, if you're at a local level, a regional level, a uh, national level, it might be a little different. And I think that's the beauty of this next decade. Well, I agree with you because at the end of the day, what's, uh, you know, the most innovative dimension of the decade is really that uh, uh, you are trying to uh, walk the talk, so to speak, on on those notions of co-design, co-production and co-delivery. What does it mean? It means that, uh, you know, co-design, for example, ocean uh, uh, science uh, so far has been not only conducted but also conceived by ocean scientists only and with the decade you are trying to have other stakeholders than the ocean science community constituency to sit down together with the ocean scientists and and co-design those questions important questions that need to be addressed and 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 the same comes when it comes to uh, knowledge generation. You don't generate, you don't produce knowledge only through science. You all, all also have a lot of expert knowledge in the private sector, in indigenous and local communities. So, so how do, do you capture all of that? Um, and, and yet, coming back to the Global Ocean Science Report, you also have a more conventional sort of a ocean science uh, questions such as infrastructures, laboratories, research vessels, number of researchers, funding for ocean science. And you, you have to keep the, if you like, the ocean science system up and, and, and going for it to really thrive and uh, delivery, deliver some concrete contribution to the, to the decade. Yeah, there are these foundational things, you know, that we need to know going forward. And that's what I think is so beautiful about this report is there's a great place to grow from it. And we'll be able to, um, you know, maybe add new sections as it goes along, you know, as, as you repeat this work over the course of the decade and get to see, you know, how uh, the influence of this 10-year initiative is going to change and track what's happening in the, in the wider ocean community. Yes, and uh, with the future editions of the report, we realize as of now that uh, we also have to be able to communicate uh, better uh, in the sense of, you know, uh, visuals that speak more 
uh, to you know people who are not necessarily experts but who care about the ocean who feel about the ocean at the end of the day um, no matter you know how you are linked with the ocean it might be a spiritual kind of link something you know very personal and and yet it's important to know where the ocean is is heading because unfortunately most of the uh, of the of the of the ocean areas not to say the volume that uh, the huge volume that is occupied by the ocean is kind of out of reach and uh, because of that we are not really fully conscious of the tremendous changes that uh, the world ocean is undertaken and uh, you know understanding what's happening to the ocean will uh, make you if you like perceive things differently and possibly also acting differently in a more sustainable way so it's not only about governments it also is about individual action exactly um so something that i have been asking all my guests and that i think about really often is what would a, a successful ocean decade look like to you so by the time we get to the end of the decade if you look back what what would have happened to make this 10 years a success well i mean as a scientist by education uh you know i i would say i i kind of still like the exploration side of things i mean the fact that the oceans you know still holds surprises for us all in terms of the new forms of life i mean you know it's only um 40 years ago that uh, you know the hydrothermal vents were discovered in 1977 which which is like yesterday i mean they when you they, look they, at things yeah yeah, because you know, can you imagine if the deep ocean was considered to be like a like a barren? Yeah. Yes, and and now I mean we realize it's full of life. And by the way, the because of the very special features of the deep ocean in terms of extreme depth and pressure and extreme temperature and you know in both senses you know low temperature and extremely very high temperature and sometimes extreme toxicity. The kind of life that uh, thrives in the deep ocean is is of uh, of great interest, not just to science but also to industry. So, um, so I, I I kind of like still that uh, you know the possibility that this decade will reveal really new uh, exciting aspects of the ocean, exciting for the imagination, exciting for science, and also useful to society. But I think the real revolution will 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 be in terms of how ocean science will will operate, and uh, and in the sense that scientists will by the end of the decade will probably be much more conscious of the need to to basically uh, you know help develop solutions uh, to you know pollution to uh, you know the fact that. Uh, fisheries are definitely not compatible with uh, ecosystem-based management most of the time. Um, uh, I, but, but in that respect, and uh, I might be anticipating a, a possible qu question from you, but at least I myself ask, uh, so I ask myself the following question: Are we equipped? To develop the new generation of ocean scientists, yeah. Uh, because if you look at the way current educational programs are structured at university, 
with, of course, a number of exceptions in terms of uh, places where you can study in an interdisciplinary and sometimes transdisciplinary way. But most of the time, it's still overly conventional. Siloed, yeah. Yes, siloed. Siloed is the term, yes. So I think the ocean decade has to bring a change also in terms of how the new generation of, uh, uh, you know, ocean scientists uh, is, is actually formed. Yeah, those early career ocean professionals and then even, you know, the next generation below uh, below us. I'm, I've, I think I'm an ECOP, I fit in that uh, box. But then by the time that the decade's over, the individuals below us, uh, the next generation will uh, be in our shoes. And so it's just a, con- it's a wonderful opportunity and a really concrete 10-year time frame to really think, uh, what are the steps we need to get to? And there's a goal line, you know, and the uh, I love that the Global Ocean Science Report is the baseline. And then we have a goal line for, for 2030 that we can uh, work towards. It's not just some arbitrary, oh, we'll get there eventually. But we we have something that we can track progress towards, which is the best part of, of this report and the work that you're, you've all done on it. Thank you. <laughs> I agree with you. And I, uh, I like... Uh, um, uh, you know the goal line uh, sort of a notion. I, I yes, you are an ECOP, a, an early career ocean professional, and uh, but uh, but I would say that you are you are one of those because you kind of grasped that uh, you know uh, immediately, and uh, and uh, but at the same time, if we don't induce some uh, some kind of a you know paradigm shift in in the way people are trained, it might. You know, we might end up with only a, a limited number of people who understand the interconnected nature of, uh, of the problems that uh, the world ocean is facing. So, I, I I think we have that responsibility, and the decade can can and should help with that as well. I I completely agree. Um, so wrapping things up here, where can uh, the audience go to learn more to read the report? It's on uh, UNESCO's website, correct? Yes, it is, and uh, it also is on uh, on our uh, you know social uh, social media. Uh, media. Yes, I mean the sort of the you know the, the sort of the usual ones, uh, so, so 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 to speak, uh, Twitter and, and, and Facebook. Uh, we 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 have uh, we have uh, you know dedicated IOC pages and uh, uh, on all of the main uh, social media and. Um, but we also have some uh, webinars, and uh, uh, and uh, we we are also open to ideas. If uh, if uh, people would like, for example, to to have some of the findings in the Global Ocean Science Report, uh, you know, much much making some of the questions, we 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 would be very happy to uh, consider the possibility of a of a kind of a, a specialized, you know, yeah. interactive, special, yes, absolutely, special event. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So listeners, definitely, um, we can reach out and get you in contact. And if you, if there's a part of the Global Ocean Science Report that we didn't cover today, which I know we didn't cover everything because it's a, it's a giant undertaking and a fantastic uh, document. So reach out and let us know and we'll, uh, we'll get working on that. And Salvatore, thank you so much for, for joining me today. It was great to have your 
expert guidance through this document and really getting into what it means versus just the numbers on a on a page. So thanks for joining me today. That's correct. Uh, it's me who wishes to uh, thank you because uh, that's exactly the whole point. We 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 are sort of uh, under the the moral obligation really to uh, you know explain what all of that uh, means. And uh, and uh, as I said, we we. We welcome feedback and we are here to, uh, you know, make all possible efforts to improve uh, the, the data that we have collected uh, so far to really assess the level of uh, capacity uh, that is uh, present in the ocean science field and uh, where we are heading. We're heading good places. So thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you all next month. <music>